And this is the View of the Valleys podcast, season two, episode 11 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you been this weekend? Oh, I'm doing really well this weekend. Had a really exciting finish to both uh, OVC and MVC play. What stands out to me on the MVC side is that the championship game essentially for the entire league went to overtime. And, uh, you know, Loyola came up a little bit short there against Northern Iowa. So a heck of a, a, a game. You know, And then we had the big upset. SIUE over uh, Moorhead State. I don't think that's unfair to say that that was a huge upset. But how about you? How's your weekend been? Remember much of it? <laughs> uh, pretty good weekend, uh, TJ. Uh, you know, went to the Blues game Friday night. That was a heck of a nice guy that took you to the Blues game, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, forgot who it was, <laughs> but no, yeah, seats were seats were good. Um, yeah, great, great time. Thought the Blues were actually gonna gonna falter there at the end, but. Mm-hmm. Powered through to win that minus one and a half yeah. puck line. Yeah. For our listeners, be sure faltering would have been winning by one goal, not two goals. Yes. Yes. Some would say good teams win, but it's great teams that cover, you know. Uh, but yeah, yesterday, uh, didn't really get to watch much college basketball. Uh, so Mardi Gras, big day in St. Louis. I think it's one of the biggest ones in the. I think it's the second biggest. Just fine, New Orleans. New Orleans, yeah. Well, DJ Diesel was at the tent so we bought a ticket for the for mardi gras this year because dj diesel was performing and most people are probably unaware who dj diesel is uh it's shaquille o'neal so i mean you better believe i was getting a ticket Mm -hmm. and it was pretty good it you know he was there i think for about an hour and a half and it was a lively group everybody was getting into it and just a just a fun saturday uh hurting a little bit today but Mm-hmm. We're powering through here on a Sunday, and yeah, that's why I felt like I had to keep you updated with all the texts, like let you know what was going on. Yeah, <laughs> you, I... been... <laughs> you probably thought that you weren't reading them right, or I was lying to you. At one point, I read it. I'm like, I need to read this again. <laughs> <laughs> but during this week's episode, we'll discuss the Missouri Valley Conference and Ohio Valley Conference tournament brackets. Also, we will have the Vice President of Intercollegiate Athletics at Linwood University, Brad Wachler, on to talk about uh, Linwood's transition from Division Two to Division One and what the what the whole process is and applying and and all that good stuff for uh, schools that want to become Division One eligible. Uh, first things first, TJ, we'll get into the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley Conference here and what basically just wrapped up this past weekend. Uh, did anything st- stand out to you on the Missouri Valley side? I think it was Northern Iowa winning. I think that was the game most everyone was looking forward to. I think the other games went pretty much according to plan. And, you know, just get a huge game out of uh, Williamson. He had 29 points for Loyola in that game. And, and uh, Braden Norris goes with a double-double. Their point guard goes with a double-double, 13 points and 10 boards. And, of course, A.J. Green shows up as expected. And... I think that's just a great way to end the season, just to have it. it it's it's rare. You can't ever expect that that's going to happen at the beginning of the season, but to have it happen. And I'm sure there may have been some people that weren't unhappy to see Loyola lose, so they didn't win the last outright conference championship. That's right. You know, I think there's some level of that. I think there's probably some of that in the OVC. They're probably not happy that, uh, you know, Murray State and Belmont are going to, you know, be one and two going into the tournament. You know, Moorhead's definitely going to have a play, you know, say what happens there. But the game was also huge because what happened with seeding, Northern Iowa obviously becomes the one seed, but then Drake, Loyola, Missouri State all tie for second at 13-5. Yeah, you get all those games. So then it goes to a round-robin format, like what happened amongst those teams. So Missouri State gets the two seed leaving Drake at the three seed. So because of that six-point overtime loss, Loyola went from the one to the four, which is amazing. But then you think it, that may make those two play again in the semifinals. Yeah. Which that's kind of what you'd like to see in the finals when you think those two oh, teams absolutely. just played. Yep. And the winner was going to get the, the one seed, but now that's not going to be your potential championship. But I think there's the, the, the league's been so crazy this year. It's just that's been so much fun. So what about on the OVC side? What were some of the things that stood out to you this last week? So uh, before we get to that, uh, I do want to mention that we are going to uh, announce our first team uh, right. conference players as well as freshman of the year and coach of the year. Uh, we'll do that later on in the show as well. Uh, but yeah, on the OVC side, 
I think it's pretty obvious to me what stands out. Uh, it's Moorhead State falling to uh, SIUE. Yeah. Uh, you know, SIUE's been without Rayshon Taylor, mm-hmm. and you know he's a big part of their offense. And you know, Moorhead State had the three seed wrapped up regardless of they were going to get a, a buy. Um, however, SIUE had they basically just they had to win, right. and UT Martin had to lose. Right for uh, right. SIUE, they were going to lose a tiebreaker to UT Martin. Correct. Well, UT Martin loses to Tennessee Tech by thirteen, and as good as Moorhead State has been, you know, this year. And I think they just beat Eastern Illinois Thursday by, I think it was over 30 points. Yeah. I was expecting Moorhead to come in and, and really take control of the game. Yeah. Kind of almost makes you worry about Moorhead because they lost two of their last three coming down the stretch there. I mean, not to say that losing to SEMO is anything to be ashamed of, but you'd much rather be two and one winning your last two than oh, lost to SEMO. I mean, yesterday's loss to SIUE was unexpected. Shamar Wright just played out of his mind for the. Uh, <clears throat> Cougars. Now maybe maybe this is a wake up call for <clears throat> for the players on Moorhead. You know, Could be. they're looking right past SIUE. They're looking ahead to the tournament. You know, to snag another win. Uh, but maybe this is what Coach Spradlin's team needs. Right. You know, a wake up call before before you the tournament. So that's what they needed. Because if not, then you're going home early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then also, I think uh, Murray State and SEMO. I think Murray State was. I think they opened as like an eleven point favorite. Uh, but SEMO leading at the half, 37-32. And leading with three minutes left. Really, yeah, leading most of the game. I think mm-hmm. Murray only led, I think, maybe once in the first half, and then they ended up getting that lead when it really mattered late in the game. But you said what stood out to you. There was a six-point possession for Murray State. It was Murray a six-point possession because I was flipping through. We had the two TVs on, and I forget who it is from Murray. Hits a layup, and a Kenton, am I saying that right? A Kenton yeah. pulls a Murray State player down. Blatant. It's this, like we talked about before we started recording, there was no doubt. It wasn't like, do you need to call that? No, you had to call that. They went to the video and they saw, you know, and, and did that. Murray State hits one of the two free throws and then promptly hits a three pointer. So from, I think, from like the 309 mark to the 254 mark, it went from an eight point game to a two point game. Wow. And it just felt like it really changed over from there. So, I mean, it. Murray State, yeah, they're they're ranked nineteenth and just went undefeated in conference play. But they've been uh they've been squeaking by with some with yeah. some slim margin yeah. of victories here in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and apparently some of the SEMO fans were not um too kind with their talking to the Murray State players. I've really? heard that the AD had to go back and kind of pull some people back and you can hear it. Because my wife was watching with me, like she's you know in the room, like what the heck is going on? And you can hear a guy from the SEMO crowd, like, "Yep, enjoy your one game in the tournament. Enjoy your no, I don't have time for you, fifty-five. I don't have any time for you." Like, <laughs> that's that's a little bizarre. It, so if you get a chance, like, watch the last minute. Of okay. the game. it's it's surreal. I mean, you can be into the game and you can cheer on your mm-hmm. team, but there's a certain point where yeah. you're crossing a line, yeah. and like even by the time you get to your age, you got to think it. I'm talking to college kids. Yeah. But, of course, we've seen it happen at the high school level, too, oh, so sure. you never can tell. But I'm sorry, I'm getting off track here. So so we'll get into the Missouri Valley Conference and Ohio Valley Conference tournament brackets here, as well as doing our uh, MVC and OVC all-first-team selections. Uh, we'll do that after the interview with uh, Brad Wachler. Uh, so we'll go ahead and give you the interview when we caught up with Vice President of the Intercollegiate Athletics at Linwood University, Brad Wachler. And we are joined by Vice President of Intercollegiate Athletics at Lindenwood University, Brad Wachler. Brad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. All right, so we'll jump right into it. Uh, obviously, the big news is that Lindenwood is making the, the move from Division Two to Division One, and for our interests, joining the Ohio Valley Conference. So what we'd like is if you just take us through the discussions at Lindenwood that led to this announcement and eventually the move to Division One. Yeah, for sure. So that started back in August. The Ohio Valley had reached out to us just to gauge our interest in transition. Obviously, there was a lot of movement, continues to be a lot of movement uh, nationally amongst conferences. And so there's a couple spots that opened up. And so Ohio Valley was doing their due diligence and, and reached out and, and started the conversation there. And 
from that point, brought it forth to my president, uh, who asked that I conduct an internal analysis, uh, which I did um, to look at the financial model. And then we went through and got an external consultant to, to validate the data and provide recommendations. And you know, as we looked more, as we looked at it and, and tried to, you know, connect connect it with our, our overall university strategic plan, it just made it made a lot of sense for us, and it checked a lot of boxes. So, you know, I would say that the timeline was uh, was quite expedited when you look at, uh, at look at this process normally. Uh, but it does feel like a little while cause we've been having that conversation for, for, for several months now, but, uh, we, we kind of, we, we, we did fast track it for sure. Now looking at the geographical layout part of things, it looks like it's a pretty good fit for you guys in the OVC. Cause I mean, you got SIUE who isn't that far from, you know, where your guys' campus is at. SEMO's just down the road and, uh, Eastern Illinois is not that far either. And now you have the addition of Southern Indiana and, Little Rock as well. Yeah, ge- geographic uh, footprint was an important factor in all of it. Uh, you know, we looked at the we looked at a couple different conferences as options and and uh, you know great conferences, but you know that they, they didn't make a whole lot of geographic sense just in terms of where where some of the schools were located. Uh, so it's great because it, it it has the ability to create natural rivalries and also makes it really easy for our for our fans and our parents to 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 travel to road games. And so, um, you know, I, I liked I really liked the the geographic layout of the conference. It's kind of similar to when we when we made the jump initially from the MIAA, which is obviously a great Division II conference, to the GLVC. It was primarily um, based on geography because there were so many long road trips in the MIAA. And, and for this, you know, it's very uh, you know kind of a very similar methodology when you look at the the layout of the the OVC. It's it's uh, it just provides for a really nice fit for us. So what is the process with the NCA for a school to apply, you know, be considered and approved for the move to Division One? Yeah, so um, it's a pretty uh, detailed process. Uh, so you, you obviously have to pay an application fee, and it's not cheap. I mean, it's about one point seven million dollars. So just to apply, it's it's a, a seven figure number. Um, obviously you have to make a commitment and it's a financial commitment certainly to, to go through this process. Um, so once you apply and, and the application is actually comes out, it just came out and it's due in June, uh, each, each calendar year. And so we have a lot of work to go through from over the next couple of months, which it's essentially a strategic plan for your department and a, and a program review, uh, that you have to submit to the, to the NCAA, which has to be signed off on by, by the, your, by your conference uh so the ovc will review it and sign off on it on our behalf and then it what essentially it is is just different checkpoints throughout the four-year transition and so every year you have different checkpoints that you have to hit and milestones um that you must hit uh in order to continue to continue to move through the process and so it's a it is definitely a pretty detailed one uh, one that's going to require a lot of a lot of legwork on our end here again over the next several months um but I'm looking I'm looking forward to going through it. So how does this move impact Lindenwood Athletics and the institution as a whole? Yeah, so when I said it, it kind of look, looking at our strategic plan and how it fits there, uh, it, it just makes perfect sense for us because our, our strategic plan is laid out in terms of, you know, some pretty aggressive lofty goals go, going from 7,000 students to 12,000 students in five years, top of mind brand, uh, revenue enhancement opportunities, community engagement. So everything that the NCAA Division One brand brings to your institution will help us meet a lot of those goals. Again, it's not a standalone, it's not uh, going Division One's not a standalone strategy it's part of the over overarching strategy of the university but it's a big piece of it and so you know really that's that's the biggest piece for us it's not just what we'll do for our athletic department but what we'll do for the entire university and i think another piece of that is you know a renewed engaged campus spirit as well as is getting people excited on, on campus uh, whether you're an athlete or a non-athlete and, and trying to get people uh you know it helps with retention um so there's a lot that goes it goes into it and there's a lot that a lot of benefit that it brings but you know you look at the division one monic uh division one brand and it, it essentially what it what it allows for is it allows for 
you know, in, enhance visibility, enhance branding opportunities, uh, you know, exposure that we just unfortunately haven't been able to get as a Division II institution, especially if you look in St. Louis. I mean, we're the only Division One football program in the, in the, in the region. Uh, you know, I was actually, we're the only Division One men's and women's lacrosse program in the region. Uh, so we're getting a lot of exposure just from, just from the announcement just because of that. So, uh, you know, uh, it brings a lot of value to the university for for sure certain and and you know I, I think it changes the prestige that you're that you that people see when they look at Lindawood. so mentioned that southern indiana you know joining the ovc you know with southern indiana going division one as well and then joining the ovc with that program in school joining the ohio valley did that help your guys decision and trying to join the ovc yeah, you know, I, I don't think it. I don't think there was necessarily a correlating factor there where it, it, it made our decision one way or another. If if Southern Indiana decided and ended up deciding not to do it, we would still be in the same spot here today. Um, but I will say it it, it it's definitely a, a nice compliment for sure because it's again a, a school that we're familiar with uh you know i have a, a a really good relationship with their athletic director and somebody we can bounce at we can bounce ideas off of each other as we're both going through the process at the same time um so i i think it was a really nice piece there for us um but i wouldn't say that it was a it was a factor that, that we that we utilize when making our decisions so I think the thing that comes to mind, obviously, from, from my perspective, and you kind of touched on it with a $1.7 million application fee, how does this change the fundraising goals and kind of perspectives of Lindenwood University? Yeah, definitely some uh, some aggressive uh, revenue um, initiatives that we'll have here. You know, in terms of trying to trying to drive some dollars. You know, we're we're fortunate to be in a very solid financial position as a university. Um, you know, and so, you know, we, we have the available resources, but, but again, it's expensive. It's an expensive initiative. It's, it's, uh, it's expensive transition to go through this process over the next four years. Um, so, you know, we're going to really call on our, our donors, our supporters to, to help help drive this forward. You know, we're going to have some facility enhancements that we're going to have to do here over the next couple of years. And we're going to, again, some of those will be fundraise initiatives. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to continue to lean on, on those that support us and, and those that don't support us up to this point and ask them to, to help it, uh, see this through. Uh, so yeah, definitely some enhanced goals that we'll have, uh, because of this, um, but it, it, again, that's, that's the one beauty of the, of the, the transition is that there's a more fundraising opportunities for division one schools than there may be for division two schools. So, um, you know, we're looking forward to going out there and, and part of the pavement and trying to open up some doors that maybe didn't exist previously. So how do you measure the success over the, maybe the next three to five years with the increase in competition, you know, being a basically just the foot in the door at the division one level. Uh, I'm sure trying to schedule non-conference games are, you know, maybe tough at times and other times maybe pretty smooth, but trying to schedule non-conference for basketball, football, or even baseball, you know, with the broad range of selections you have at the division one level. Yeah. You know, that's a great question. I, and I think it's, it's going to be, um, you know, Scheduling is definitely a challenge. I've already seen that a little bit. Um, a, a lot, a lot of schools want to play us, but not everybody wants to come to Lindenwood. So trying to get home <laughs> games, trying to get home games is the biggest challenge right now. So I'm working through that. But you know, I think it's a process for sure. I mean, is I'm not expecting that we're going to go into this in year one or two or maybe even three and be super successful um, from a wins and losses perspective. Uh, I'm, I'm generally not a very patient person when it comes to competitive success. I don't think any of us are in this industry. But you kind of have to be because, you know, it's going to be a, it's it is it is going to take some time to to get up to, you know, up to speed. And we have some great student athletes here that I feel like will help us make that transition. But you're going to continue to recruit. You're going to continue to recruit Division One athletes that have the capability to compete at a really high level. 
Uh, and so we're going to hit the ground running right as we speak. And so, you know, our, our, you know, all of our sports are already out there searching for, for kids to help them, help them make the transition, um, a little bit more seamless. And so, you know, it's, it's not necessarily about wins and losses. It's about the progress that you're making. So, you know, I'm going to just evaluate our programs and, and, in terms of, hey, are we making strides? You know, it's not necessarily putting a number on and saying, hey, we have to be at X number of wins by year three. I, I don't think that's fair to do. Um, but it is about, you know, trying to continue to make, get better. And every year you expect to get a little bit better. You know, those first couple of years are a little hard, especially when you're not eligible for the NCAA tournament uh, in the first four years. So, the, you know, especially the first year recruiting class uh, could be challenging. But, you know, every year you should be getting a little bit better. And we're going to be investing a lot of resources into it to help our programs you know move forward so you know as i said at our press conference we're not going in this just to be you know part of the uh, popular group so to speak I and mean, we're going in this to be nationally relevant and competitive and so we're gonna we're gonna make a big push and we're gonna make a big investment to get there and and uh, we with with that we'll have high expectations on the other side so following up with scheduling at the collegiate level the athletic director takes on a little bit different role so how involved are you with scheduling as opposed to maybe what we most people are accustomed to at the high school level. Yeah, I'm, I'm really involved on the football side. Uh, a lot of ADs are, are involved, very involved on the, on the football side. So a lot of conversations happen from AD to AD, uh, partly because, you know, at some of those, some of those games are money that are significant amount of money that's being, you know, transfer back and forth. So, um, so I'll work with our head coach and really try to build a schedule on the football side. I, I assist any way I can with basketball as well. So, uh, especially for the non-conference games, um, some of the guarantee games, I'll, I'll work with some of our basketball coaches to, to facilitate some of those schedules. Other than that, I help wherever I can. I, I let our coaches manage the process, and if they need my help, I'll step in and help any way I can. Um, I don't like to micromanage our coaches. It's not that's not my management style. So um, I'm going to let our coaches just run with it. And um, again, some have already asked me to help step in and and and, and uh, reach out to ads and try to help build the schedule. But generally speaking, I, I work work. I do work primarily on football, but um, I'll, I'll give some assistance to basketballs and anywhere else where needed. So one of the areas that I that I see that Lindenwood, you know, and yourself probably excited about is maybe from like a marketing standpoint or just a broad reach of fans, you know, because uh-huh. of the level you guys are at now, probably not as much, you know, national television or radio um, production as there is in like the OVC or just other conferences, you know, in the OVC. They have that uh, contract with you know ESPN, so all the games are on ESPN Plus, whether you're at home or on the road, and I think that you know big factor for Lindenwood fans. Yeah, and that was a big factor in the decision. Uh, you know, when we look when we were looking at the you know the pros and cons of making the transition and, and the your again, your overall marketability of your program and your university is, is far greater. And, you know, programs are, are people who have maybe not heard of Lindenwood in the past. will hear, will hear about us. Um, you know, even in St. Louis, you know, St. Louis is a big community and, and, um, not, not people that aren't familiar with the university are, are starting to hear about us now. I mean, I, I was very, very impressed with the amount of buzz and, and, uh, positive media attention that we received from this transition. And it's a big deal. And so, you know, I live, I live about 20 minutes away from campus and, and, um, you know, even at our, our local high school, they're talking about it around the, around the uh, lunch table. So, you know, it's just kind of cool to see the people that, that weren't, uh, weren't, uh, familiar with what we had to offer and now becoming more familiar. And, uh, it's going to really drive, it's really going to drive dividends for us in the long run. Well, I mean, you guys did a great job of bringing out kind of the, the big gun, so to speak, for the announcement. Greg Amzinger is the MC. Yes. Dan McLaughlin voicing the, the video that you guys produced and Randy Carricker. How did you get Greg Amzinger to come in and uh, take a day off from his MLB Network job? Yeah, it was kind of fun because, you know, Greg is uh, who I've I've gotten to know Greg really, really well. And, and Greg actually serves our on our Linwood University President's Council, which is a, an external group that provides some advice and counsel to to our university leadership. And, and Greg serves in that role. And so our president was actually texting with him and, and Greg had asked, Hey, you, you know, I'm going to, nah, he didn't even ask. He's like, Hey, I'm going to try to come in to come in for the event. <laughs> and that's when we gave some thought to, Hey, maybe it'd be worthwhile to ask someone to MC it. And so uh, we asked him, and I, I 
kind of teasing with him a little bit uh, when I saw him. I'm like, I think you were more excited for this press conference than anything you've ever done with Major League Baseball. <laughs> so, um, you know, he actually ended up taping his show early on on Tuesday and and uh, flew out Tuesday night and. Uh, you know, and was able to um, was able to MC the event, which was just so it was just special for him to be there. And um, you know, and 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 then you know when we asked Dan to to narrate the video, he did not hesitate, and uh, that was a, a great touch. And Randy, who also serves on our president's council as well, and has been very involved with Linda Wood, and and um, you know was was very more than willing to come and and provide his support to the to the overall cause and initiative so yeah it was fun to have have those guys involved with it all right well our last question here we didn't prep you for this one this is a what we call our entertainment tonight question going to put you on the spot here so traveling throughout the glvc did you have a particular uh school that you like to go to because there was a great place to eat in the city whether it be you know going up to lewis university or indianapolis or any place in the glvc footprint Oh, that's a great question. Oh man. Um, <laughs> what city did I, so, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed, so when I look at when I'm, I'm just going to talk about cities for a second, because I'm, I'm a, I've grown to be a big barbecue guy coming okay. to St. Louis. Okay. So every time I would go out to Kansas city, whether it was over to Jewel or Rockers, um, you know, it was the opportunity to, to go hit some popular barbecue spots. I enjoyed going. I, I enjoyed going to the Kansas City area. I, I love Kansas City. It's a great city. And then I also really, I, I went to, I went to, uh, to my master's at Indiana University. So uh, always enjoyed Indianapolis. So that's a that's a good place for me as well. Kind of brings back some memories. Uh, but you know, there's that's the thing I liked about the GVLVC. There's some great cities. Number one, they're easy to get to. I mean, so if you look at Lewis and Chicago or Indian, you know, Indy or, or, or schools out in KC. Um, but, you know, even again, when you look at the Quincy's and the Truman's and everything's just easy for, for us to get to. So, um, yeah, the great, great spots, uh, really good restaurants in some of those locations. And uh, I heard there was a great spot in Springfield, but I can't remember the name of it. Um, somebody told me about it the other day, but. Anyways, good question. I was not prepped for it. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Uh, but with that, Brad, uh, that that's kind of uh, that concludes what we had had for you, and we appreciate Great. you taking time to discuss Lindenwood Athletics and the move to Division One. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. This was fun. I appreciate it. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. And that was our interview, and we caught up with uh, Brad Walkler. Uh, TJ, what were your thoughts on? Uh, catching up with him and hearing what the process was like 1.7 million dollars just to apply i mean that, that's all that is a lot TJ. right i mean what and that's just to get in mm-hmm. so i mean or just to apply so if right. you don't get in i right. mean if you i falter, wonder if you get any of that back i don't know but i think it sounded like the ovc has a large part to like legitimize them in their application to the division one did you get that impression too yeah a little bit so, I mean, it sounds like they're excited. It sounds like they're ready to make the move. And it was funny to hear the story behind Greg Amzinger. Like, I, he's one of my favorite segments yeah, when he comes good. on the Thursday morning uh, drive show here on ESPN 101. But, yeah, I love listening to that guy talk. Yeah, he's a, he's a good personality on MLB Network. Yeah, and what stood out sure. to you? Uh, well, I know it's going to be tough for them to get home games just because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no one's really going to want to travel on the road mm-hmm. to a, a team that's just now going yeah. D1. Now, their facilities aren't bad. No, their facilities so are nice. I think that's one thing that they have in, you know, in their favor. Football stadium's really nice. So I think it may be tough the first two years to get to get some home games, but it might be one of those deals where you're doing maybe like a a three-season or a three-game yeah, contract, one. and we'll go to you twice. You come here once. Yeah. I wonder, like, getting a slew. I think that'd be big. But I don't know that Slew's played at SIUE either. And that's probably just as close. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, I, I like, I do think Linwood's facility is looks better than SIUE's gym. Okay. That, that's just my take on it, though. Um, but I think if if Slewin is able to get a road game at Lindenwood, I think, I think that'd be huge for Lindenwood and, well, even the OVC in general, too. Mm-hmm. Uh but with that, TJ, we'll go ahead and get into the conferences here for the uh, the bracket layout. We'll go ahead and start with the Missouri Valley. 
So Thursday night's always what people want to avoid when you're looking at the Missouri Valley Conference and the 10-team setup. And this was um, pretty much set in stone going into uh, the last day, almost the last week, really. Just a few seating uh, discussions from the 8-9 and nine perspective. And then in Illinois State just laying the, lay the wood to Indiana State yesterday, a 20-point win in Bloomington normal last night or yesterday for the Redbirds. And they played, they've played much better at home. They haven't won a conference game on the road. I think Indiana State's only won one conference game on the road. So it'll be interesting. But they have two situations. This is one of two where games that were played the last game of the season, we're going to see an immediate rematch come time for the tournament. So uh, they split the regular season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And then Valparaiso and Evansville are playing for the third time in 12 days. That's, I'd be getting sick and tired of playing mm-hmm. them. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, so Illinois State and Indiana State, if they win, they play Northern Iowa. Loyola dropping down to the four seed, as we talked about before the interview, playing Bradley. And then Valparaiso, Evansville winner will take on Missouri State, who took the two seed with the tiebreaker. And then the second time for this tournament, Drake and Southern Illinois will play, having just played Saturday. And that may be an interesting game. This may put your uh, tough-to-be-a-team-three-times theory to the true test, which you, I think what you had in mind. I know I gave you a hard time about this. And maybe it's just the Saluki and me being hopeful. <laughs> but at Southern Illinois, Drake wins by one. Marcus Damask has the ball in his hand when the ball when time runs out. Yesterday, Drake's up two. Marcus Damask has the ball in his hand, and shot comes up short at the buzzer to tie it. So we've had two games decided by three points. So, you know, I keep hoping that this will be the difference for them. So I think, you know, and just as many overtime games as they've had this year, I think uh, they've had the record number of conference games going to overtime this year. I think it could make for a really interesting tournament. Do I think I see like we did uh, – was it last year where teams from Thursday are making it to Saturday? No, I don't. I, I think there's a huge difference. I even went through and looked at the percentage of games won by the top uh, five teams in the MVC, and they won. The top five teams won 71% of the games. Okay, so a little bit of a little bit of a gap in there for, mm-hmm. in the Missouri Valley. Um, if you're looking at that bracket – is there a game that stands out to you that you could see an upset? I think just because of how, what I just talked about with with Drake and Southern Illinois, that has to be your pick. Because I don't know that five over four, Bradley over Loyola. Yeah. That's, but at the same time, they tied for the second that. best record, and Bradley was clearly the five. But I still think if Bradley beats Loyola, you're going to be surprised. But I think of all those, and I don't, think I'm I'm hoping with my heart here. I think Southern Illinois, just because the games have been so competitive this year. Okay, so the one thing that we look at in in the Missouri Valley, and I know we I think we talked about it last week or but Lenardi still has like Loyola as one of those final teams mm-hmm. into the field. Right. As an at large. Do you think they absolutely have to get to the championship in order oh, for sure. In order for them to uh Get that? Yeah. And I, I say that about Southern Illinois losing to Drake twice, but then I look back, uh, Bradley and Loyola have split, including a game in overtime that Loyola wins at home. Really? Mm-hmm. So, you know, both were seven-point games. One was an OT. So, I mean, that, that's that's even more evenly matched up than Southern Illinois-Drake. Well, I think Northern Iowa, you know, winning it, winning it outright the way they started the season i mean if you would have told me they were going to win the missouri valley after a two and five start mm-hmm. now albeit yes it was non-conference but at the same time you know aj green wasn't you know aj green exactly you know <laughs> i mean yeah that literally what it comes down to but as the season progressed he has gotten back to doing what he's capable of doing and if it's not for him i mean northern Iowa was definitely not in first place yeah and I wonder how much it helped this year's team, AJ missing last year, if that makes sense. Because I don't think Bowen Bourne and Noah Carter or Nick Heisey get nearly the minutes or the touches that they get for Northern Iowa 
this year without what they did last year. Noah Carter really came on this year. I mean, I thought he did some great things last year, but you know, look at that Missouri State game. He was the one that got assigned to guard Gage Prim, which that's that's like <laughs> you got to draw straws. Whoever gets the short straw, like, all right, you get to guard guard the biggest guy in the conference. Thanks, Coach. <laughs> yeah. Um, but on the OVC side, uh, TJ, uh, I think when you did your bracket projection about a week and a half, two weeks ago, pretty close. Yeah, um, I had all the right teams, just not the right spots. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> I, yeah, it came down to essentially yesterday, and because I, I could predict that SIU he was going to beat Morehead State. <sighs> Insert eye roll. <laughs> yeah. So the first game on Wednesday, you have uh, fifth seed Tennessee State at. And eighth seeded SIUE, and then Austin P and Tennessee Tech are your six and seven. Uh, the winner of Tennessee State and SIU will play SEMO, who got a single bye, and then that's the same side of the bracket as Murray State is for the double bye. Uh, and then you have Austin P and Tennessee Tech that'll play Moorhead State on Thursday, and then that side will also have Belmont, who gets that double bye too. I am really interested in obviously the the back of the tournament, obviously, but I think the Austin P Tennessee tech game should be a pretty, pretty evenly matched game. Yeah. They've split this season, but you know, the first game or the, the game at Tennessee tech was a three point game. And then uh, at Austin P was a 16 point game. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. Um, I, let me uh, let me read you this here. I'll I know we talked about this before we started, and you basically said that I was, in hindsight, full of crap. Um, but John Rothstein put on Twitter the Ohio Valley Conference betting odds to win the to win the conference tournament. Okay. So he, obviously Murray State is the favorite to win. They're minus one seventy five, and then. Belmont is plus 240, Moorhead State plus 900, SEMO plus 1800, and then there's just a huge gap after that. Tennessee State plus 4700, Tennessee Tech plus 8500, Austin P plus 15000, and SIUE is plus 50000. So if I put 100 bucks on SIUE, I could win 50 grand. Is that what that means? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So where's the part where I told you were Full of it. So I think that I think Murray State's going to get into the NCAA tournament regardless, in my opinion. But I am still convinced that the OVC will have two teams into the NCAA tournament because I don't think Murray State is going to win the tournament. Okay. I think they are going, I think they're going to lose. I don't know if it's going to be in their first, their first game or in the championship, but they've had a lot of games here recently, not a lot, but a couple where they have squeaked by with some slim margin victories. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, I think um, SEMO has the best chance for that to happen because SEMO still has to, they have to win their first game in order to even get to Murray State. Mm -hmm. Now, I know they just lost to SIUE. Okay. But I really think Moorhead State has, has a lot better than just the a slim chance to win the whole thing. Yes, they're the third seed. Yes, they've lost two of their last three, four games in the last couple of weeks. But I think that's what that team needed. I mean, Moorhead State has got a legit defense. Um, Janai Broom is a legit player. Agreed. Uh, Coach Spradlin has done a great job getting other guys and other transfers from other schools to to be around, you know, Janai Broom. You got Talon Cooper. Um and a couple other guys, but I think I think somebody else other than Murray is winning the OVC championship, and the OVC will have two teams in to the NCAA tournament again. So, why does Simo's squeaking by concern you more, Murray? Yes, I'm sorry. Why does Murray's squeaking by? concern you more than Moorhead's losses? Because I, I feel like that with Murray still getting those wins that, you know, they're, they're, they're still getting the job done. Now, Moorhead has seen that, hey, 
we can't take anybody for granted or we'll lose. Like Murray has still been able to get those wins. Now, is is a two-point win against SEMO, like, is that a knock on SEMO? No, I mean, SEMO played pretty good and honestly probably should have won the game. Um, but I, I just feel like that seeing what Murray State has done this season, yes, they have beat Belmont twice. Yes, they have beat Moorhead State twice. Yes, they beat SEMO twice, which that's your next three teams under Murray. But Moorhead State has played really good against Murray. They just were not able to close it out in either of the games. Now, does the loss to SIUE concern me? Yeah, 100% it does. But with the talent that Moorhead State has on that team and the way they're able to slow slow teams down, you know, offensively, I think goes a long way, especially on a neutral court. But Moorhead has that loss to SEMO at home. Those last two two-point wins for Murray were both on the road. They were. Um, I mean, and I could even make the argument that what was Murray playing for down the stretch here? Seeding in the national tournament, really. Because if they lose to SEMO yesterday, yeah, that definitely hurts it. Absolutely. But they're still not playing until Friday. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, does the... Does the home loss to SEMO, is that kind of a bad loss for Moorhead? I mean, yes. I, I mean, not bad, national but it's not. National picture-wise. Yes. National picture-wise, it's bad. Conference-wise, I mean, it, it's really not, I think, just a drastic change. Um, but you got to understand, too, though, on any given day, SEMO can compete with anybody in this conference. I mean, they led the league in uh, scoring. Now, I'm gonna, don't talk about the don't talk about the defensive side of things. But doesn't that even give more credit or credit to Murray State beating them on the road? I mean, yes, but at the same time, everybody was expecting Murray to to beat Semo, but by a lot more than two. Wasn't everybody expecting Moorhead to beat Semo at Moorhead? I mean, yes, you're right. It, Maybe I am not making sense of it logically, but there's something about. Well, well then, that. okay. Let's, let's, let's just. In that case, you know, Evansville's probably going to win the MVC okay, tournament. Now, that's that is not as drastic as what I'm saying. But hey, it's it's. I don't have to use rational thought. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. But feel, just feel like, I just feel wish, like you're on the stand getting cross-examined. I just wish you would bet me that if you take Semo and give me the field, we'll have a bet. Oh, I'm saying Moorhead State. No. That's no, I'm saying somebody else I think outside of Murray will win. That's the complete opposite. Like you were so adamant. Well, but yeah, but there's there's certain teams that, you know, that I mean, if you're playing the five through eight, you don't have a very good chance to win the whole thing. You gotta play four games in four days. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's kind of a gap in between, you know, the upper part of the Oh, yeah. Conference and not as big as it was in the Missouri Valley because the top five in the Ohio Valley only won 69.6% of the games as opposed to 71.1. I just, <laughs> I did some math today while you were sleeping it off and trying to recover, man. I was working. Hey, my, my brain's been a little foggy all day. You know, I'm still you're still having dreams of Shaq Diesel or DJ Diesel. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> so we're. <laughs> Let's let's so, go, let's go ahead and go to. So give me give me who you gonna who you're gonna win. You say who's gonna win the Ohio Valley. I'll say who I'm gonna who I'm taking in the Missouri Valley. I Morehead State. Okay. I think we can take Loyola. So neither of us are going with the one seed. No, but at least the one seed here split with the team I'm picking. Yeah, well, and the team I'm picking is going to hold truth to my saying from two weeks ago. <laughs> That's everybody in the league. <laughs> everybody in the league got beat twice yeah, by Murray. I got a good chance. I got, I got, I got nine chances oh, here. Oh gosh, I can't handle this. Uh, so we're we're going to move on here to the to the accolades here. Okay. okay. We'll uh, we'll do the Missouri Valley side here for you first, TJ. Um, okay. Who do you have on your Missouri Valley Conference 
first team? Well, I have Isaiah Mosley as player of the year, Larry Bird winner. Um, you know, he has already won player of the week four times, and I can't imagine anyone else winning it this week because looking at his stats from this week, he had 28 and 11 against Evansville yesterday. He had 33 and 11 against Bradley earlier in the week. And I don't think anyone else comes either, even close to that. So I think he's your player of the year because he's going to win player of the year five times. I mean, A.J. Green's had a great year, but then you can also look at some other things from Isaiah Mosley. Looking at conference stats, 20.9 points per game, led the league in defensive rebounding, overall had 7.4 rebounds per game, and 2.7 assists per game. So I think he's your player of the year. A.J. Green at 21.2 points per game, leading the league in free throw percentage. Gage Prim, you know, just I think he's the closest thing that the MVC's had to a Shaquille O'Neal, but he can shoot free throws. And 18 points per game, seven and a half rebounds, leading the league overall. No, he wasn't. He didn't lead the league overall. I apologize for that. And then a one block per game. Lucas Williamson from Loyola, 16.3 points per game, almost three assists per game. Think about that, your leading scorer. Three assists per game That's... and 1.3 steals per game. And again, these are all conference stats. And then my fifth spot was probably the hardest one. I kind of wavered back and forth, and I finally went with Ryan Mast from Bradley. Almost 14 points per game, 8.3 rebounds per game, and he led the league in offensive rebounding. You know, I wanted to find somebody from Drake, but don't have anyone in the top 15 in scoring in the league, you know, from the stats that were available to me today. And, you know, I think they fill up the, the next two teams for me. Okay. So I, if you argued with me and said, hey, this other guy belongs in the fifth spot, I, I'm, I'm not going to fight you too much on it. <clears throat> but maybe it's part of it because I heard that one guy when I watched Bradley and SIU and Mass got a five-second call and he said, I can't stand big men that can't play the game of basketball. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> He's her best player. I just, I just shook my head and wish I had somebody to like, you hear this? So, Ohio Valley, player of the year. To me, it's pretty simple. Uh, K.J. Williams. Best player on the best team. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Over 18 points per game, eight and a half rebounds. And, you know, lately, you know, some double doubles for mm-hmm. K.J. Williams. And, you know, without him, you know, and, he, and he's only a junior. And there's just a different – they're just a different team and you know people are like well yeah no kidding they're probably not ranked 19th without him no they're probably not but last year there was a lot of talk of um Janai Broom basically being the you know the big man of the of the conference mm-hmm. yeah you had Nick Musinski as well from Belmont um which all three are still in the conference this year but KJ Williams has elevated his game and a lot of that has to do with Telvin Brown as well Telvin Brown can shoot the three. He's a good facilitator, and he is also on the uh, all OVC first team for me. Okay, okay. Um, Telvin Brown over sixteen points, five and a half boards, and three assists per game for the Racers. I don't know where this one-two combo stacks up in the country with other one-two combos. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not as um, maybe it's not as flashy in terms of like statistics and points per game as maybe some of the other one-two punches in uh, maybe the Power Five or whatever other conference you want to mention. But K.J. Williams and Telvin Brown are a very good one-two duo. Yeah, well, um, going into not knowing what it's going to be tomorrow, seven of the league's Player of the Week honors have gone to K.J. Williams and Tevin Brown. So I, that, that probably backs up your argument. that I mean, and they're good. There's always the argument to be made that well, that's probably because they do play together. But still, they're they're the ones that are carrying that. Yeah. So and and KJ Williams can shoot the three as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if if there is anything open inside, him being able to shoot the three, I mean, has elevated his game, you know, for the Racers and and ultimately has put not only Murray State but the OVC back in back in national recognition, mm-hmm. in which you know in coming years, as soon as next year. You know, you're not entirely sure what you're going to get out of the conference in terms of, you know, having a school that's able to go give a power five school a, a real chance. Yeah, Moorhead State 
you know, is going to have a lot of talent returning, but no slouch on the other programs right now. But outside of Belmont, Murray, and uh, Moorhead State, there's really not another team on here that really comes to mind that, Mm -hmm. you know, can give a Power 5 run for their money. Yeah, Tennessee Tech played close against, like, I think it was Tennessee and maybe Cincinnati. Um, But to really draw an upset, you think Belmont or Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, sticking with Moorhead State, uh, Janai Broom also on the first team selection, uh, 16 and a half points per game, over 10 and a half rebounds, and average four block shots per game. So he's the big factor in why Moorhead's so good on defense. And he's a, he's young. You know, last year, freshman of the year in the OVC. This year, um, you know, you know, he's still a sophomore. Or I don't know. Maybe he's considered a. Yeah, I think he still has freshman. three years left after yeah. this. Yeah. So I, I don't know, but but good for him. You know, being able to contribute as much as he is as a as an underclassman right now for Moorhead State. Uh, Grayson Murphy doesn't get enough credit. I don't think um, his points per game is not flashy. Uh, only seven and a half points per game. But he does it all, you know, almost six assists per game, over six rebounds per game, and it averages close to about two and a half steals defensively. Wow. Now, if if I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the games, I think it was at SIUE, I believe Grayson Murphy had a triple-double. I don't remember. I think I'll have to go back and look, but I, being at that game, I mean, he, there is, there's no... I mean, he plays as a team. There's nothing just about him. Um, He doesn't shoot the three all that often. He's going to drive. He's going to get fouled. He's going to dish it off. Um, The other guy. Now, this is where I kind of ran into some, uh, I don't want to say trouble, but kind of hit a wall. And I was talking to you about it before we started earlier this evening. Talked about KJ Simon of UT Martin. Um, He's been really good this year for the Skyhawks, but to me, it's kind of hard to put put a player on the the all first team selection if you know you don't make the tournament because right. um, I think it's a valid right. reasoning. And looking at he didn't win an OVC Player of the Week. Now, to be fair, Murray Belmont take up most of those. Sure. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at it all but two of those. And Moorhead. So so between Murray Belmont and Moorhead, all but two of the Player of the Week came from those teams. So then that leads me to Simo, um, mm-hmm. fourth seed, yeah. uh, Eric Reed Jr. Um, he just had OVC Player of the Week not too long ago. He's that guy. He's won it twice. Because he had thirty, he had a career-high 35 points, I think, against Tennessee Tech, and then he had 28 mm-hmm. points against, uh, 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 who was it? Forget who, who he just had 28 points against. Um, but he's averaging 16 points per game, shooting 35% from three. And he's a good foul shooter, too, almost 82%. And if you look at SEMO offensively as a team, they're the second-best free-throw shooting team in the in the conference, and I believe they have attempted the most free throws. Wow. And Eric Reed Jr. is a big part of that. Yeah. So in their past four games, he had 35 points, 28 points, and... Yesterday, he had a big game, too, I think. So, but yeah, I mean, those are two huge games for him to have here going down the stretch. Yeah, so... 21-5 and against Tennessee Martin. That's what I was looking for. Sorry. Okay. So, he's had a good year for for SEMO, and last year, he was coming over as a as a transfer, and what he's been able to do, come in, shoot the three, has really elevated SEMO offensively. Now, they just, as a team, they need to elevate that defense and which would help them, you know, drastically. And I was wrong earlier. I think after yesterday, Belmont jumped ahead of uh SEMO in overall points per game. So SEMO's actually second, not first. So I wanted to correct myself on that. Um but yeah that that's the first team there. I think yeah, there are probably some other guys that, you know, are worthy on, you know, Moorhead State and Belmont. But uh to me I look at it as if the last guy if if Eric Reed doesn't have the season he's had um, they don't have a buy in the mm-hmm. in the first round. So moving on, who's your freshman of the year? Now, I think some would probably say that uh, you should probably try and find somebody on one of the top three teams in the 
in the conference. But to me, I think the freshman that's, that stands out, and we're going to go right back to SEMO because he's won so many of these awards this year, and that's uh, Philip Russell. Okay. Yeah. Um, over 14 points per game, two and a half rebounds, and also over three assists. Um, he has had a lot of minutes this year, um, been a go-to guy for – for SEMO, and you go back to the game, I think it was at SIUE when SEMO only had like six or, I guess, seven guys eligible. Yeah. Everybody else was out with COVID. He steps up and had over 30 points. Mm-hmm. And he's been able to do that uh, throughout the year, not over 30, but consistently score the bucket. And I don't want to say it just necessarily like the way he plays, but I think the way he controls and handles himself, like on the court as well, he just acts like he's older than a freshman, you know, on the basketball team. Okay. I mean, look at he's Rayshon Taylor was probably your pick before Correct. he gets hurt because yes. they're both right there. They're neck and neck looking at freshman of the year award yep. winners. And it looks like Russell won it at least four times, five times. And Rayshon had won it twice. And then they shared it one week as well. So uh, Rayshon actually won it three times before that. So that, I think that week of January 24th when they shared, it's right about the time he got hurt. Got hurt. So, you know, who knows how those last ones play out, but definitely uh, deserving. I was impressed because um, I, I was at that game and had a close enough seat. I could see the way Philip Russell interacted with his teammates at SEMO. Now, they were up. They led most of the game. Maybe you could say it's easy to be in a good mood, but I just like the way he interacted with his teammates and even, you know, I just like the way the kid carried himself. Sure. You know, and I, I, I really hope he stays at a school at, at SEMO. Yeah, you know, so do I. Uh, I think maybe he would have been a higher priority for SIUE, given that he's from St. Louis, if they didn't have Rayshon Taylor. You know, because Rayshon was obviously hurt last year. Do you yep. want to bring in a kid that's the same type of player? Uh, maybe Rayshon's a, a more physical player than than he is. A little bit bigger, too. Yeah, that's what I mean. That he can, you know... Not that Philip Russell's scared to take it into the basket, but probably you think of who's going to ha- be able to handle that a little bit better, you think, would Rayshon. But then I say that the kid's torn his ACL twice in the, you know, about 16 months. Yeah. So, poor kid. So, so how about on the Missouri Valley side? Who is your... Uh... I think it's a runaway. Uh, Tucker DeVries, obviously, coach's son at Drake University. And, you know, he has again and again and again won the newcomer of the week. And... Uh, four times that he's won it, I think it is at least three. I just, I think overall, kind of the, the there hasn't been a ton of freshman impact in the MVC this year, and Tucker's the best of the bunch. I, he's if they do separate awards, if I know they do separate awards, but I don't know if the freshman of the year can also win newcomer of the year. If they can, I think he's a shoe in for that too. If, if not, I think it's going to go to Terry Roberts from Bradley. I think he's your newcomer of the year if your freshman can't win it. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I'm following. So, but if they can, I can totally see that Tucker's going to walk away with both of those. Okay. How about your, uh, how about your coach of the year? This, gosh, I spent more time on this than I should have today. Because one of the things I look at is, did your team outperform what you were expected to? So I went back, looked at the preseason uh, selections, like who was supposed to finish where, and comparing it to how teams finished up. And everybody is just right there together. You know, the top four finished in the top four. And just, you can jostle them around, especially when you start thinking that, like, well, you and I was picked third and finished first, but the other three tied for second. So then Illinois and Bradley were flip-flopped, and you know I, I can't see that anyone in the bottom four was worthwhile of that, especially figure that Illinois State's looking for a new head coach. Although yeah. it has happened. Who was the head coach of the Toronto Raptors that got fired and was coach of the year in the NBA <laughs> the year before they went on to win the, the NBA title, I think. So stranger things have happened. But ultimately, I went with Ben Jacobson. You know, uh, I know he's got one of the best players in the league, but I think winning the league kind of it's probably a cop out on my part. Oh yeah, okay. the team that won the league, which I always hate that, but I didn't know where else to go. I think all these coaches have done such a great job and nobody significantly overachieved from what the preseason polls were. So it wasn't like, wow, he really turned him around. Like if you look on the, the women's side for the MVC, 
SIU is picked to finish eighth, and they're going to finish first or second. Well, okay, Cindy Stein should be your coach of the year. I think that's an easy one. Even <laughs> even if they win, you can't cop up. Like they were supposed to finish eighth, and they won. Yeah. So it was really difficult. And again, kind of like I feel about my fifth pick for the All Conference team. If you came and said, oh, "I think it should be this guy," like, all right, I, I'm not I'm not passionate enough about this to get into a heated argument. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, all right, well, we're entitled to our opinion, and I'll move on. But so that's how I came down to it. It's probably not a great answer. Um, but like you said, before we got started or earlier in the, in the recording, they were starting out two and five, three and five in the regular season. You turn it around or their non-conference and then really turned around and, and you win the league yeah. outright. Now for my OVC coach there, I mean, it's pretty, pretty simple. Uh, Matt McMahon now in going into this, I do want to, I do want to emphasize something though. You know, when I was talking about earlier and you put me on the spot on well why not murray state win the whole thing and you know them squeaking by a couple wins now i i guess it'd be foolish of me not to forget that they did beat belmont by damn near 40 mm-hmm. uh in the middle of those two point wins. <laughs> in the middle of them but even if like belmont if they have the chance to play murray in the in the championship you don't think that they're going to have in the back of their head that they have been absolutely like stomped in the first in the two games that they've played them absolutely they lost by 22 and whatever it was 32 34 thursday um so i just think a lot of these guys are gonna be out for redemption and they're gonna want to beat that national nationally ranked team in murray state and so i think for me it just comes down a little bit more uh mentally than uh maybe the actual uh uh talent talent level once it gets to that you know those last okay. two games in the tournament um but yeah matt mcmahon i think it, it's it's simple there's really nobody else that, that should even be in consideration in my opinion um 28 and 2 18 and 0 in conference first ever ovc team to to go undefeated with that 18 and 0 record because they have extended the amount of conference games mm-hmm. for this year now the last team to do it was murray state back and i think it was 2013 14 but then they only had 16 games then as well um and then you got to look at the fact that they are they're nationally ranked mm-hmm. i mean you have to give it to a coach that you know you have a team inside the ovc that's now ranked inside the top 20 and who knows if everything goes right goes their way if they win the ovc championship they may move up to probably closer to 15 i would think than than closer to 20 by the time uh the ncaa tournament would actually start um I do think they've done enough, though, throughout the season to still be nationally ranked if if they don't win the OVC championship. Oh, agreed. Um, but I still think they may they have to get to the OVC championship for that, to, I think, to happen. I think they have to at least win one game in the OVC tournament to still have a chance to be ranked inside the top 25. Yeah, and I think the degree to which they lose if they lose plays a big role in that as well. Uh, that's valid. And, I mean... Had they lost, um, had they lost yesterday to Semo? Yeah, I think it would have made national news. But honestly, I it may have been overlooked because the top six teams lost in college basketball. Seven, seven top, the top seven, seven of the top ten, the most ever in the AP. Uh, absurd. Era. So unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, had they lost, I mean, people probably just, I mean, just a hell of a day for the under. <laughs> it would have been a it, if you were gonna lose yesterday was the day yep. to do it because. Getting down to 15 through 25, no one's going to notice. Yep, after you've seen the top seven lose. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'll be interested to see for the, the top 25. I know I'm getting a little off track here, but... Um, Not us. No, never. Uh, how the rankings are actually going to play a role in the top 25. I mean, it's hard to move somebody up or down when mm-hmm. the yeah, first almost, seven lost. could almost keep them the same. <laughs> yeah. Be like, yeah, guys, we're, what are so, we doing here? So, but other than that, TJ, I, I really don't have anything else. Uh, looking forward to the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley tournaments. You know, I'll be up in Evansville for the tournament. I know you'll be, you know, staying down here for Arch Madness. Um, I do have one obscure stat I want to I want to mention to you. Okay. Um, from what I have gathered, and that has been reported, the lowest attended game that an OVC member was a part of was Tennessee State at South Carolina State. There was a an attendance of 152. 
Good Lord. It's my obscure stat. Wow. Here's one for you. I don't think this is nearly as obscure, but I believe SIU Carbondale has the most, is it the tournament win, NCAA tournament wins, but that will not be true next year when Murray enters the league. Really? Yeah, it's either like appearances or wins. Okay. But SIU is going to get unseated because of conference expansion. <laughs> I'll just put an asterisk by it, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, TJ, you got anything else to, to wrap up the show? Or Don't, man. I just, these next next three days aren't going to go by fast enough. All right. Well, let's uh, let's just enjoy this week, and uh, hopefully, hopefully the – the latter part of this week will, will go by really slow for us. You know, we can enjoy the games. Yeah. And Do you – now, I know this is the first time going to the OVC tournament, but I find on Sunday the championship game of the MVC tournament is almost bittersweet. Like, I have this feeling of almost like, oh, it's over. Like, I've been waiting for this weekend since last year. Yep. And then, like, I understand why there's not a third-place game. I know there shouldn't be a third-place game. It could do more damage than good. No one wants to play in that third-place game. But darn it, I'd love to have a third-place game just so I have two games to watch. Yeah. because And it's always interesting to see how the crowd changes over the course of the weekend. Like Thursday, I'll start marking out like, all right, this is where I go to get my beverages. This is where I go to get my food. I start to form a bond with these people. And then by Sunday, the place is packed. I'm like, hey, I can't go see Jimmy. What's going on here? Like, what is that your guy? I, no, I've been, we've been friends since Thursday. You guys just got here. Get the heck out. <laughs> you know? So I feel like I get that way with the ushers and everything else person, over four days. Your yeah. own personal beer vendor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, there's something to be said when you walk up and they already have it ready to go for you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so do you, do you feel it. like you get that feeling, like that kind of that melancholy kind of like, oh, tournament's over after today? Uh, Yeah, because... I mean, obviously, I haven't, I haven't really actually been to the OVC tournament before. Um, but you can use, uh, use like when the St. Louis Rams are, you know, I had season tickets for them, and you know, you enjoy going to every game. While the, and you went in there with the mindset they were just going to lose because they were so terrible. Mm-hmm. But even when that last game came to the, it's like, oh, well, that's the last game. Yeah. You what know? are we going to do next week? Exactly. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> But, uh, but with that, TJ, that'll wrap up the episode here. Uh, again, a special thanks to the Vice President of Intercollegiate Athletics at Linwood University, Brad Wachler, for taking time to, uh, to join this week's episode and talk uh, Lindenwood Athletics. So for TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we roll on with the next episode and you know we'll break down the, uh, the tournaments from this weekend in the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud, and you can give us a follow on Twitter at ViewValleysPod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.